We're spending about five weeks looking at uh, the Apostles' Creed. And I know that for some of you, the Apostles' Creed is a memorized old friend that you enjoy in your time of personal worship and you're fine with us using it about once a month in corporate worship. For others of you, that's the kind of religion that you like uh, not participating in. You like the drums and different kind of liturgy, and yet it's this old creed that Christians use. It was written in between... uh, the early church's founding around uh, the, the New Testament letters started to be written about 45, 50 A.D. Between then and the second century, 200 A.D. is when the Apostles' Creed was formulated. It was not written by the Apostles. Um, that is where it got the name, but that's not true. And in it are all these challenging statements, and yet there are things that are not as challenging in the midst of it. Um, as I was looking at it over the last couple of months preparing for this, I'm thinking about what's it like in 2017 to profess this creed. What we looked at last week is what? What are we professing in the Apostles' Creed? And this week we're looking at why. Why do we spend time re-saying these things that we believe? Why is it important for our own hearts and for our community and perhaps even for the broader community for us to say together, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate. This is on the back of your note-taking form, if you want to follow along with me. Suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, Communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. So why? Why do we need to say that as humans, as followers of Jesus? And I want to point out that a number of these things are not actually very challenging. Maybe we shouldn't have them in a creed, but there are a number of things in it that a uh, student of history or, frankly, a thinking person would not be bothered by, about eight of them. So by my estimation, we're creeding about 31 things in the Apostles' Creed. And I don't think it's that tricky in 2017 to simply say, I believe in God. People are fine with that. Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, starts to get a little dicey. But saying that we believe in Jesus, as long as we don't attach the word Christ to it, that's okay. Um, It's very confident historically that Jesus existed. That there was a man who largely lived in Nazareth, who walked around telling stories named Jesus. Historians and uh, people that think about these things would even acquiesce that he was born uh, to a woman named Mary. The archaeological record continues to grow in showing that the New Testament is uh, historically accurate. Suffered under Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate was absolutely a puppet governor of Rome at the time. And there's archaeological evidence for that. Was crucified. Yep. That happened to a lot of guys those days. It was a rough time. People wouldn't challenge us on that. Died. Yeah, everybody dies, right? And was buried. Well, of course, that's what you do after someone. See, these are the unchallenging things that we say. Then there's the, he descended into hell. Oh. Third day, he rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, seated at the right hand of God. These are all the challenging things. But some of the 
not challenging things would be the Holy Catholic Church. And by that, we mean all those who profess faith in Jesus. That's what the word means. It means universal. The communion of saints, that means it's worth getting together on Sundays. The forgiveness of sins, this is an interesting one because um, philosophers and even historians to some degree are continuing to unpack the essential nature for any human being of forgiveness. Especially after World War II, lots of European and American continental philosophy continues to explore the role of forgiveness. I believe our culture honors this. So of the 31 things that we would say in the Apostles' Creed, I think about eight of them would just be fine. What about the other 23, though? Why do you and I need to say these challenging things to God, in front of one another, perhaps in our personal time of devotion? And why did I go through the parts that are challenging and are not challenging? It's because Christianity is historic, and it is historical. It is not just that. It claims to transcend history, and yet it is based upon real people that lived in real time that can be researched. Uh, In the 19th century, there was an attorney named Simon Greenleaf who was the head of Harvard Law, and he decided to explore, an atheist, he decided to explore if Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were in his courtroom, how would their testimony match up? And he came to the conclusion that he would accept them as witnesses and accept specifically their witness, two of them secondhand, two of them firsthand, of Jesus Christ. Christianity is also rational. If it's allowed to speak into how the world works and what it's actually made of. If we take Christianity to be true, it actually tells us more about rationality than we could ever learn. And you're like, what? Why are you? This, says, this is not encouraging to me. This has nothing to do with Mother's Day. What does this have to do with church? I want to point out that if I encourage you to say the Apostles' Creed, and it's not true, then what I'm doing right now is what troubled Karl Marx about religion. If Jesus of Nazareth did not, in fact, rise from the dead, then you should not say this creed. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, and we all say it together, then what's happening is a form of social control. Absolutely, 100%, that's what's happening. But if it's true... Historically, religiously, intellectually, philosophically, rationally, then you and I profess it for our own good, for our joy, for our encouragement, for our ongoing learning. Some of you, as I was going through that, you're like, yeah, that part I believe in, that part I'm not sure if I believe in, that part I believe in, that part I'm not believe in. And I want to say, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ and you doubt some of the points of the Apostles' Creed, well done actually thinking about it. So few actually think about the wild claims that we make and continue to profess it Anyway, if you do not believe it, it's all right to not profess it. Take the Apostles' Creed home and understand, if you're considering the gospel of Jesus, that this is the purchase agreement. This is the description not of the entire story of God's pursuit of his people, but specifically of the work of Christ that allows men and women back into relationship with God. This is the purchase of our joy today and eternal life. And if you're wondering 
about Christianity, this is a pretty good place to explore historically, philosophically, religiously. We profess challenging things to ourselves. One of the reasons I believe it's good to profess the Apostles' Creed in worship, and even in your times of devotion this week, you wonder what to pray this week, pull out the Apostles' Creed, read it, and then pray as you're led. It binds us together. One of the reasons that we profess this together is to remember actively that we are a spiritual family. Some of you are like, I do not need any more family. Do you know how complicated my family is? And I, I joke about this a lot because most of us come in here somewhere in the back of our minds, I don't need any more family. I need a lot of things. That's not one of them. But that's actually why it's good news that we have a spiritual family. Not, and for those of you with healthy, intact families, good You also have men and women that you can rely on here. Jesus was very clear that allegiance to him and allegiance to that family is supposed to supersede our biological family. doesn't mean biological family doesn't matter. In Mark chapter 3, one of my favorite passages of scripture, twice Jesus' family tries to get him to stop doing ministry. It's a little awkward, the things you're saying. should come back with us. You think I'm kidding. This happens twice in Mark chapter 3. That's one of the ways that he said spiritual family supersedes. But then when he's on the cross, he says to the Apostle John, your mother, to his mother, biological family still matters, but it is superseded in allegiance to Jesus and to spiritual family. So why do we creed? We do it to draw ourselves together. You know, uh, sports teams do this with stories, with chants, with songs. You know, when you get together with your in-laws and they start telling that story that you've heard just like 91 times and they think that you have not heard that story and they're telling you again and it's so clear that they want you to react like this is new information and you're like, (sighs) (laughs) families do that because those stories bind us together. I played basketball at Metro Christian Academy in 1996 and most of the guys that I played with are my Facebook friends and every once in a while we start telling an old story. The area championship, my senior year, we were tied with a team that we really needed to be beating. And they were running a zone, so we ran O coming out of the zone. Most of you don't care about this, but nine of you will appreciate the fact that I'm going to tell the whole version of this story. (laughs) Coming out of halftime, we ran O. O is where you swing the ball around to the right side of the key, and then you swing it around to the left. You set a back pick for our center named Jesse, who jumped up and caught an alley-oop from the baseline and dunked. And we won by about 23 points after that momentum-shifting moment. Last year, we just all started talking about this. Somebody remembered this part of the story. Somebody remembered this part of the story. Somebody remembered this part of the story. Coach started talking to us on Facebook. He still has his favorites like he did back when I was in high school. but (laughs) He liked me fine, but... He noticed that I couldn't jump very high. And it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> we do that with old friends, right? I was in a fraternity in college. We had the nice songs that we sang to the sororities. We had the very, very not nice songs that we sang late at night. Sports teams have the things that they say. I have a couple of friends that... Um, are Seahawks fans and the way that they talk about being 12s just it totally confuses me because I don't have enough I, I have enough Seahawks fans but I don't have enough Seahawks fans who are friends of mine to understand what they're even talking about and why they think that's their number 
Similarly, Christians remind one another of what they believe because it binds us together. Reminds us that we are brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers and children with one another and this is spiritual family. As a pastor, Friday and Saturday, I felt the weight of today on Friday and Saturday. I was worried about myself and about you guys. You know why? Because I have friends that didn't come to church for 10 years on Mother's Day. Because it was painful. Does that mean we shouldn't celebrate? Nope. But does that mean we should take care in how we celebrate? Yep. Do I know exactly how to do that? Nope. Do I look forward to getting your email telling me how to do it? Yep. I really do. Even if you're aggressive-aggressive or passive-aggressive, I'd love to know what you think about this. But here's the thing. This is a tricky day for a lot of people. For some, it's just a joyful day. For others, it's a tricky day. For others, it's really hard. And our goal on a Sunday morning is to make much of God and His good news. And parts of our culture, perhaps especially today, would say to some people, you're unique and valuable and awesome, and kind of imply that others are not. And God never says that. Every human being is created in His image. He loves all of them. So we have to figure out as a family... How to be a family on mission together. Make much of his gospel. Still celebrate. Still express joy when and where we can, but do so with sensitivity. In the creed, God descri- uh, we describe God as the Father Almighty. And for many of us, we have issues with that. Imagery. Let me just be clear. The second century Christians, the, way, the, the powers that a father had in that culture they would have had even more trouble saying this than us. Even more cynicism and fear and abuse perpetrated because fathers had far more right to do evil with their family than today. And yet, that's actually why we remember in the Apostles' Creed that God is a good father and sovereign and powerful. In the midst of our disorientation, Remember that there's good news. We profess these challenging things to ourselves and also to our community. And by that I mean our community around us. Now, that does not mean that you should take this and at brunch tell the waiter, did you know that I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth? And in Jesus Christ, and then not tip, right? That's our reputation on Sundays. You guys know that. But, I mean, if you want to, you can. I can't stop you. I mean, I could if I was right there. But (laughs) what I mean is with our actions, the entirety of Scripture assumes that when we understand this purchase agreement, when we understand all that Christ did for us, great cost to Him to reconcile us to God, we love well in our community. Well, how? Jesus told this incredibly compelling, I think probably his most famous parable, Good Samaritan, when someone said, who then is my neighbor? Jesus said, anyone in need, and then you do what you can. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus describes 
his followers as those who naturally care about those who don't have food and clothing and shelter. We're working on that as a church. At least initially we're calling that ministry Faithful Presence. You know why? Because we don't always have to say the words. In fact, if we always say the words, sometimes our community will not receive love. There's this statement that floats around sometimes, some attributed to Brother Lawrence, others to Francis of Assisi, that preach the gospel to all nations, if necessary, use words. And it's a wonderful statement in the sense that it reminds us that our actions matter. And it's such an arrogant statement if we think that people can come to faith in Jesus if we never say anything, ever. I mean, are your actions that admirable? Someone's going to see you act kindly and then they're like, wow, I really want to profess faith in Jesus. I had never even heard of him. But you were so kind. It's a both and, okay? But for the most part, when we reach into our community because of the purchase agreement of the work of Jesus Christ reconciling us to God, we move in just as a faithful presence towards the local food pantry that feeds a few hundred people in town that need food, especially in the summers when they have a lot of trouble filling up their food pantry. We're praying and considering how to reach out to the homeless community. There are a few in our town and a lot in Hartford. There's some crisis pregnancy centers in the area. We're exploring how to support them. One we helped start is in Unionville. And this morning, if you would like to take a little plastic baby bottle, don't use it for your baby because there's a big hole in it for you to put coins in so the milk will spill everywhere. But um, take it home and fill it with coins and return it in about five weeks and we'll give that money to the Crisis Pregnancy Center. But this is what keeps me up at night. Like I Normally we have the ushers like handing those baby bottles, but I don't want a baby bottle shoved in your face because I have so many friends that today's a disorienting day for. But... I still want to help Crisis Pregnancy Center. So, on your way out, if you want to stop by the welcome room and grab a baby bottle, please do. And you're like, gosh, you think about this stuff too much. It's one of my spiritual gifts, overthinking things. (laughs) We profess challenging things in the Apostles' Creed to ourselves and to our community. And the goal of a ministry like Faithful Presence, and really the goal of all of us as neighbors, is that we would be kind and loving, and people would ask us why. And then we get to read them the thing. Oh, I'm so glad you asked. I, I was doing the soup kitchen thing because I believe in God. I mean, maybe that would be a little awkward if we then professed the Apostles' Creed. But that's what it's supposed to do to us. To the extent that we understand these very challenging things that we profess, we're motivated to a life of love for God and for neighbor. We profess these challenging things to ourselves and to our community for (laughs) uh, what I wrote in the the notes is for meta reasons. And that is just one of those moments where I was so excited about preaching and now that I'm a little sick, I'm like, why did I even include that word in a sermon outline? Meta. It means, among other things, beyond. Like metaphysics, the thing that transcends the laws of physics as we know them can mean along with or after. What I want to point out about the Apostles' Creed, because the notes are here and I'm going to stick with it, believing that God is in control of the energy that I had on Tuesday versus the energy I have right now. Parts of the Apostles' Creed are challenging to us because they press our intellect 
There's one verse in 1 Peter that helps us understand that Jesus descended into hell and why. And yet we're like, whoa, whoa. But if there were no whoa moments, if you understood everything about Christianity, how long do you think that faith would last? If you just got it and it was fine? It was like, oh yeah, there are the Ten Commandments, I follow those, I'm good. Like, done. Would it last? In your head, in your heart, and in your life? What I'm pointing out is that there are things that you and I will not fully understand. And that's actually a joy. Not because this is social control, but because you and I are finite and God is infinite. And I know that some of us in our most intellectually curious moments don't love that, but I think most of us, most hours of the day, most days of the week, kind of like that we can't understand everything. And we come back to the profession of mystery and trinity and the purchase agreement of God for our joy and for our eternal life with Him. Another thing that we do as a church that I'm very, very, very thankful for and happy about that I had nothing to do with is the Build and Repair Network um, that a couple of men in our church run. And yesterday we were talking about the role of the Holy Spirit and the most theologically learned person in the room other, other, uh, other than me, of course. Um, oh, come on, that was funny. First service, loved that joke. In describing the Holy Spirit was clear about that we pray to the Holy Spirit and clear about the mystery. And I was just so thankful because what we profess is not something that we understand like we understand a math equation. Or like a plant that we plant and we water it and it grows and it's fine. What we profess about God is challenging to our mind and to our, the extent to which we think about philosophy and the extent to which we think about... And I know you never even use that word going through your week. My point is this beautiful old creed that is for our good in corporate worship and devotionally transcends our understanding. And that's actually encouraging to us. If we could understand everything about God and the purchase agreement he made with Jesus, I do not think it would last. Those of you considering faith in Jesus, I hope that you read this. Wow, Christians believe a lot of challenging stuff. Then I hope you research it. Historically, legally, religiously. I'd encourage you to pray. You're like, but you just said those that are not followers of Christ. Yeah, most people pray. If you're not a follower of Christ, I'd encourage you to pray, Lord, is this, or just say God, right, because he's not your Lord. God, is this really what happened? Help. And then just go about your day and you can feel spiritual. You prayed that day. For those of you that are followers of Jesus, I would encourage you to take this to your devotional life on a Tuesday and on a Thursday, remembering who God is, who the Holy Spirit is, why we gather on Sundays, but most importantly for the Apostles' Creed, the purchase agreement of Jesus. What he did for you and I to have joy and eternal life with him. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for the churches that developed this creed when it was illegal to follow you. I thank you for the words mostly about the work of your son Jesus for the joy that he purchased for your followers then and for us today. As we sing, Lord, 
as our belief that for some is many years old and for others new, let that belief be kindled into a greater flame of encouragement and joy and hope and peace in our hearts. As we creedily confess and acknowledge intellectually the work that you did to reconcile us to you. Bless us, Lord, as we sing. Bless us as we talk with one another. Bless us this day with a tangible sense of your Holy Spirit that never leaves or forsakes us, that never quits. Indeed, Lord, you have made those of us who are trusting you alive through your Holy Spirit. Help us to sense that and enjoy it and be thankful. Amen.